0: I'm Terence E. Gannon, and this is the Not There Yet podcast, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. (music) Listening to Diana Crawl in Nijnavar Tosk, it's surprising what connects you to home. Why don't you just go there and see for yourself, my boss asked me back in the spring of 1998. I was working for an international petroleum well service company at the time. What? Go there? I asked, first thinking it sounded like an incredible adventure. Then I was filled almost instantly with an empty black dread. Sure, that sounds great, I said bravely. I'll get right on that. The IT guy isn't offered that kind of trip very often. The branch office in Orange County to pull network cabling or training courses in Seattle, maybe. Lightweight stuff with predictable food, accommodation, and television. Western Siberia to help decode the turbid electronic missives of the company staff over there? Nearly never. If you draw a line roughly through the North Pole from my hometown of Calgary, Alberta, and follow it across the Arctic to 60 degrees north on the other side of the planet, that's where I was going. Nizh in Western Siberia. Nizh is an oil boomtown smack in the middle of the vast, vaunted Samatlor field which helped to fuel and finance modern Russia. The company for which I worked had a couple of outposts there and it was finally time for me to pay them a visit. It wasn't an off-world colony you would find in a William Gibson science fiction novel, but it was pretty close. It was a formerly red planet and just about as cold. Shortly thereafter, I was on board a flight to Moscow, connecting through Frankfurt. From there, I took a trans-aero flight to Nizhnavartosk. This is where I burst through the bubble of my personal solar system into the realm where nothing was familiar. To that point, I had only ever traveled in countries with languages where you could generally figure out what was being said. The patterns were familiar and peppered with English. Russian, on the other hand, was wholly unfamiliar, right down to the disorienting swoops curves and crosses of the Cyrillic alphabet. Even place names on maps were strange. Austria, for example. It's not Osterreich or Lotrich, or anything even remotely close to recognizable. It's Rakuzko. It might as well have been an encrypted message from extraterrestrials in a distant galaxy received a thousand years late. I was hopelessly lost. Despite horror stories of shoddy maintenance and grossly misloaded cargo bribed aboard domestic flights, TransAero was the prototype of the promise of post-Soviet Russia. It was the result of finally unconstrained capital unleashed on vast pent-up consumer demand. The flight to Nizh was the best I have ever taken, finally exceeding Ward Air in the 1970s, which had been my personal gold standard up until then. The TransAero food would not have been out of place in a Michelin-starred restaurant. Cabin staff were wildly out of sync with any notion of equal opportunity hiring. Only the arrestingly beautiful need apply. They spoke perfect, gently-accented English, and were capable of conversing on any subject, seemingly at a PhD level. The 1950s style meets 1990s efficiency ended with a thump. Not of the landing. As with the rest of the flight, that was perfect but rather with the first glimpse of the Nizhnovartosk airport. I seriously wondered if we had run short of fuel and landed at an airfield abandoned during a hasty retreat of a failed military campaign. The passenger terminal looked like a construction project, which had run out of money at precisely the moment where it made as much sense to tear it down as it did to finish it up. However, I took my cue from the other passengers who dutifully rounded up their things, marched down onto the tarmac and trudged towards the terminal. Behind us, we could hear the air stair hardly being rolled away from the aircraft as the flight crew waved goodbye and slammed the door shut behind them. Thunk. Followed by a series of cinematic echoes I guess I must have imagined. I can remember vividly wanting to break ranks, pathetically wave down the pilots and try and talk my way back on board. To prevent such mutinies, it seems transaero flight crews of the day were specially trained to spool up and get out of reach as fast as possible. Onward, we trudged, not into the terminal as we may have hoped, even though the prospect of heat and light and let alone coffee seemed remote, but rather around the terminal, and then dumped unceremoniously into the parking lot to be left in search of ground transportation. The local fixer my company had hired, with his towering stature, shrub-sized shopka and gold grill, were right out of central casting for the next Bond villain. But I was thankful he found me and knew my name. However, his particular take on its pronunciation made me think of Goldfinger. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. There is nothing you The reality was a lot less exciting, but no less scary. I was bundled into a rather agricultural minivan and whisked away like a prisoner en route to swift show trial justice in the gulag. Shortly after, I was dropped off in the pre-dawn light at the hostel where a room had been assigned to me. The minivan clattered away in a fog of diesel fumes while I was still standing outside. The street fell silent. I examined the exterior of my lodging with horror. Its styling cues were best described as post-proletarian Blade Runner without the neon and just a bit shabbier. I bumped my cases up the stairs, went inside, and was given my room key by the babushka just inside the door. She gestured up the stairs saying something incomprehensible in Russian. Something about the lack of a tip, I'm sure. I found my room and it really wasn't bad. It was shared by staff who rotated 35 days in followed by 35 days out. Subsequent conversations with those working those rotations told me that everybody falls into one of three categories. The first is one and done. The experience is so utterly awful, they will literally sign anything and pay any amount of money to never have to do it again. The second category are those who tolerate it, uncomfortably, based on what can be accomplished in exchange for a couple of years of personal misery and nagging dread. I had the feeling those people were scratching a mark on a wall somewhere, Alcatraz-style, during each day of their rotation. The third and final category loved every minute of it. They spoke the language perfectly and melted easily into the local population off campus. They really settled in and settled down for 35 days. Made easier, no doubt, by the wife and kids they had in-country, which duplicated the wife and kids they had back home. In the pre-Facebook, everybody-sharing-everything-all-the-time era, it seemed reasonable that half a planet separating the two families meant the Twain really should never meet. There was no domestic problem at either end that wasn't more than 34 days away from a 35-day timeout. I drew the curtain of the room open just as the sun was coming up, reluctantly at such a high latitude. The town didn't seem to have changed much since the days of the Soviet Union and the central planning that went along with it. It was so cold, steam seemed to rise from everything. There is a 12-hour time difference between Nij and Calgary, and I was going to use my ration of long-distance minutes to call home before it got too late. Just to say I had arrived okay, even though by that time I was distinctly not okay. It was still the time when long distance sounded that way, with beeps and buzzes and mysterious echoes on the line. My call finally clicked through to home, and I could hear the sound of my wife's voice. It had an almost inaudible tremble, which I rarely heard when I was with her. Those types of trembles are contagious. I could feel my words beginning to catch in my throat, and we both knew there wasn't much point in staying on the line after that. She tried to cheer me up by saying she had heard from my parents who were visiting a favorite aunt and uncle in Oysterville, in nearby Washington State. After I hung up, I thought about her, and I thought about our beloved, ordinary little house in our tidy little neighborhood, and together, doing not too much except watch the Flames miss the playoffs, again. I thought about my folks sitting with my Aunt Joan and Uncle John while they looked out over Willapa Bay in the evening light of the early spring. What I did next, I'm still at a loss to fully explain all these years later. I rooted through my case and found the small collection of CDs I had brought with me. I flipped through them and quickly found the specific one for which I was looking. The latest from Diana Crawl. I put it in the boombox I found in the apartment and turned it up loud enough to fill the entire space hoping to push everything else out. Maybe it's Ms. Crawl's roots in the hardscrabble seaside lumber town of Nanaimo, British Columbia. It's not that far from where I grew up. Or maybe it's the born in the 60s demographic she and I coincidentally share. It's really hard to know for sure, but there was something about Diana's reedy, out of this world, once in a lifetime contralto voice, which back at that moment helped mend my aching heart and made me feel just that little bit closer to home. I'm Terence e. Gannon, and I'm not there yet. Thank you so much for listening. The Not There Yet podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. One of the real pleasures of membership is introducing our listeners to other great shows in the network. Here's another personal recommendation. Not every journey involves the North Pole and 12 time zones, sometimes they're just a short walk in an urban landscape, but they can still result in insight and discovery you wouldn't get any other way. To that end, check out The Walkcast, hosted by Tim Queringesser. It's dedicated to walking in cities, and in particular our beautiful northern neighbor of Edmonton. I listened to episode 5 just recently, where he talks with community activists working to make their neighborhood more walkable and more livable. What's unique is they're taking the high road. Positive, collaborative, apolitical cooperation. It's so appropriate for our times. Tim is a great storyteller and an expert in his field. So check out the Wattcast at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Not There Yet is a regular series of short essays podcasted from the second decade, The 21st century. They are all written and read by me, and the entire production is wholly owned by Interlog Inc. of Calgary Canada. All rights are reserved. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show on iTunes. It really helps build the audience, which means yes, I get to keep doing this. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATB. I like to say like a bank, better. Here's another reason. If there's one thing that Russians and Canadians have in common, you guessed it, it's hockey. Great players aren't born. Well, actually, they sort of are. But they still depend on great development programs. That's why ATB sponsors hockey, all the way from Tom Thumb and Pee Wee Leagues right through to the pros. They also help local volunteers, without whom these programs would not exist. It's just what ATB does, and I think it's amazing. You can check their hockey support programs out at atv.com slash listen. It's absolutely worth a moment of your time. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back soon with another episode. Subscribe to the Not There Yet podcast on your favorite podcast platform to know exactly when. Until then, remember, in life, like this journey, it's not the destination, even if that's Siberia. It really doesn't matter if you're not there yet.